people are sending questions. This is good. And we are live. It was never fast enough to get the video started. In a world of divisiveness, we bring you diversity. In a world of hate, we bring you love. In a world of fear, we inspire you to live. And now, laughing, loving, and alive with your hosts, Rain Thomas, Elmer J. Howard, and Dr. Kevin. Hello, hello. I am the Easter Bunny. Well, hello, hello. I am Coco Chanel. Hello, hello. I would like Cocoa Puffs and Bunny Rabbits for lunch. Ooh, this is the late night show again, isn't it? We're starting it <laughs> off this way. <laughs> I'm Hannibal Lecter, and you both look like <laughs> dinner to me. <laughs> oh, boy. This is going to be quite the show, but isn't it always? Hey. So, so Rain... You have any news for us you can share? You keep teasing every week about something, and then so we never know when it's going to be announced. Um, you know what? Me neither. I just get the roles. I can tell you that this new role, um, they're actually shooting it in Vegas in a couple of weeks. So it's actually a quick turnaround. Um, I can't say much more than that because, I mean, Elma, you know how it goes. You're sworn to secrecy, right? But I do know that that will be happening in two weeks and that it'll be past my bedtime because they will be shooting at like midnight until whatever. So I need to start taking naps now so that by the end of the month, I'm ready for that. Uh, what else can I share? I, um, I can't share the other one either because. So in two weeks. You're gonna do the show, and then you're and and then you're gonna go be shooting right after the show. No, it's actually a weekday. Oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be a week. It'll be a weekday, weekdays, or however they put it together. But yeah, it's like a Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that. So you know, and it's is like forty five minutes on the other side of the of town where they're shooting. So um, I want to make sure that I. And wide awake. Yeah, no, if I had to do this show and go, I I don't know if I'd be able to make it. I, I would truly. Didn't you hear me say I'm going to start napping like this week so that by the time the end of the month comes, I am prepared. <laughs> so I can tell you that. Hi, Brett. I don't know if we'll ever, you know, you'll have to send us some, some, some way to see this movie because you know what they say what happens in vegas stays in vegas so you're going to shoot this movie in vegas and the rest of us will never see it because it will stay in vegas no because these people are from la and it's oh. cheap here yeah they're going to be shooting here and then taking it to la so you will get to see it i know i thought of that too and he's like no no we're i said are you here he's like no no the la team is coming to do the shoot there. And another movie that I was in, I just learned about a week ago that it is, um, it's, it's been in all 35 uh, film festivals as one of the top 
another's like short or whatnot. I don't know. I half read stuff. There's so much going on. I don't even know what's going on. So that's it. That's my Coco Chanel moment. So Alma, are you hearing that by the time you get around to trying to hire uh, Rain for one of your films that there's going to be an extra zero to the paycheck you're going to have to pay her? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still fearful about the, you know, uh, we we uh, raised enough money to pay the, pay the attorney to get all the SEC paperwork done. So now we're going to be raising the money for um, uh, for the for the film, for the production and everything. And, and I'm still afraid because, you know, this was a film that was made in Maine in 1975 and and all the char main characters is traced on true story were white. So <laughs> trying to <laughs> tell. Yeah, fine. <laughs> fine. I want to be inclusive. Hi, Elizabeth. I want to feel that being that I'm inclusive, I can use that, right? Isn't somebody using that somewhere? And I got to say, there'll probably be a couple of tasteless references on this show today because, you know, we've had some tasteless things going on in the media in the last couple of weeks. And because um, the last time we were on, you said no one watched live because the Oscars were on. Wasn't that... Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, we were happy. We were we were actually happening around the time of that it, that incident was going on. Yeah. Yeah. What incident, Elmer? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, you know if uh, if that was Chuck Norris up on the stage, Will Smith would have slapped himself. Yeah. I I yeah, I yeah, I can't there were a lot of people I put up there and I thought, yeah, that yeah. Somebody, I didn't even have to say that. Thank you, Brett, right? That's what people. Well, you do, you do, you you do play, you do play the the mother of a of a white man. And I do play the spirit McCoy, which you know that's a West Virginia Kentucky hillbilly fight that's gone on for 60, 70, 80, 100 years now. And I played, I was in there. That never happened before. That was huge in West Virginia. And, um, you know, I, I well, what was huge. They let a person of color in. McCoy's that's a hillbilly fight. That's yeah. I didn't have a dog in that fight <laughs> at all. Like we weren't included in that fight at all. And, um, uh, Will Scott Hill, who's going to be here on our next show again, was the one who wanted to start colorblinding me into roles that no one saw because paradise park, the person who came to town that was kind of manipulating these people at, you know, the trailer park was a white guy who was like a huckster. And Danny Boyd, who actually wrote Paradise Park, he's like, I have an idea. Let's turn this white man that doesn't sing into a role for Rain. So he rewrote that role so that I would be able to play the part of Madame Duverac is what they call it. And I became the no money down woman. So I even played a white man, technically. Well, you know, so I hope you're you're hearing all of this, uh, Elmer, and feeling sufficiently sheepish about all of this. <laughs> can you is there anything else you can rub in his face? I'm just sitting here enjoying the show. Well, the, the other thing that we have to do is this is a gay story and I really want to cast all gay actors or LGBT actors, you know, and in the lead roles as well. 
okay, wait a minute. So this whole inclusive <laughs> thing, which first we had to get black people included in stuff. And then we had to get like other colors included in stuff. And then we had to get like LBGTQ included. And now you're excluding me because I'm black and I'm the one who started this movement. I want to, <laughs> I will play LBGTQ, whatever it is you tell me, because I take that very seriously. You know, I've, I've always been behind the movement of people. Stop bothering people. We're all equal. You know, an a-hole is an a-hole. It doesn't matter what color or culture or lifestyle. And I've always, since I was a kid, stood up for everybody. So I'm going to get in a role in this LBGTQ movie, Elmore, or else I'm going to start protesting. And, you know, my <laughs> people, we will protest and we will put up signs and I it'll say Rain Thomas needs a role. You can do whatever <laughs> you want. I'm just telling you, it's out there now. I'm going to share this video with everybody just so you know that I want to be included. Apparently, Brent wants to be included, too. What about a straight white Christian guy? Isn't that inclusive? <laughs> Dr. Kevin is like, what is going on here? <laughs> Speaking I, of Dr. Kevin. <laughs> I have I have so many comments I'm biting my tongue on right now. Yes, well, that's the late night show. Dr. Kevin, how are you and what exciting things do you have going on? Uh, well, you know, one of the comments, I, I'm going to tell you the whole Oscar thing Um which I didn't, I don't want us to get mired down in, but I want I do want to say, as I was watching things go um, on and comments exchanging and things like this, there was one that really stood out to me that just what just took everything I had not to challenge the person who posted it because I'm trying to not go there these days. Mm -hmm. And for one particular reason, which is the poster, the person that posted it, you know, was basically saying um, something about, uh, you know, the, the comment, the way it read was, it wasn't Will Smith's fault because Jada was gaslighting him. And I looked at that comment that somehow, and that I looked at the person who made it, somehow <laughs> this woman, this woman was blaming the female for the male's action. And I thought, really? Haven't we moved past the fact of that somehow the wife gets blamed, the wife that has the disease that's not funny and shouldn't be being joked about and has been very upfront and honest. It, she's getting blamed because she somehow gaslighted Will into doing what he did. That's the only one that sent me over the moon. Everything else, I'm like, everybody's got an opinion. We know what everybody else also has and we're not going to go there. Um, oh God, I hope not. Uh, about, but anyways, so that was my only thing about all of that. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I, I, I can't say I've got a whole lot new and exciting going on right now. It's, it's what? just, 
it's just kind of rolling in. I mean, I'm doing some writing and getting some things done and, but I'm kind of like hang, I'm just kind of like hanging these days. Well, that's for our late night show as well. <laughs> I, uh, I, I can't think of anything that I'm going to say is like, you know, over the moon, thrilling or exciting, but you know, nothing, you know, like nothing bad either. I'm still trying to figure out this morning. I kept on, I dreamed, I dreamt about this song last night. And I, when I woke up this morning, I was telling Jeff about it and he, uh, and I said, and he came on saying, it sounds like a, a, there's some stuff that makes me think of this song or that song, but it's, I don't think I've ever heard it. And now I've spent all day trying to figure out, was I writing a song in my head, which has been known to happen in a dream? And it sounds so familiar, but it really hasn't been written yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've had that happen before. Yeah. I did start a new series of TikToks. And I'm still, the jury's still out for me and on TikTok, whether it's a platform I'm going to continue to do stuff on or not. But I've been hashtagging hypocrite hypocrisy and you know some of the hypocritical things i think going on in the world in little short tiktoks and then i evolved two new ones that have just started coming out one is called toxic christianity and the other one is called political bullshit okay. and so I'm, I'm doing little i'm doing little tiktoks but you don't want to talk about religion and you don't want to talk about politics so i really can't say anything about them so elmer how right. are we <laughs> You saw her face freeze for a second when I told you. Yes, just for freeze, but you know, that's after hours. Congratulations yeah. to the engaged. Yes. I love that. Speaking of <laughs> engaged, this is a great segue for engaged. Go ahead. Introduce today's guest. I thought you were going to do that. No? No? Okay. Well, today's guest, well, you know... You know her I, personally, right? Oh, yeah. I've known her for a yeah. very long time, too, and longer than I remembered. Um, this young lady set our finances straight. Um, I come from a family that doesn't believe in financial literacy. That's only for certain people, not me or whatever which is fine, but um, Mary Ashby is a wealth of information. And, you know, it's funny because we do Laughing, Loving, and Alive. And if anybody's read my post, which a couple people like, yeah, I said, laughing, laughter, love, and being alive is so much better when you have financial wellness. Because, you know, when your finances are out of sorts and you're struggling trying to figure out how you're going to stay afloat or how you're going to get the next meal, whatever it is, that's not fun. Nobody wants to be laughing and loving. And um, I've done a lot of research over the years over things that make relationships fall apart. Money being like the first one, you know, even no matter what you're arguing about, you're still arguing about money. You know, if you're arguing about somebody, the last cookie, uh, you know, the money back and forth. So I thought in Laughing, Loving and Alive, it would be great to bring on someone who knows a lot about financial wellness 
and somebody's sending me a message. They're like, yes, please fix my money. Um, I don't know this person, but if somebody's going to fix your money, trust me, it's not me. Ladies and gentlemen, the money fixer, Miss Mary Ashby. <laughs> that is a great introduction. Thank you, Rain. We have known each other for a long time, probably because I've been in this business for almost 25 years and we met shortly after I joined the business mm -hmm. and started doing finances um, when you lived in Richmond. So it has been a while. It so, has been. I started, what was this? So I started when I was two. So yeah, it had to be 25 years. Ago. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I'm not afraid of my age and I'm sure you aren't either. So nope, no, she's I'm not, not afraid, afraid of your age. It's her age she lies about. <laughs> She's perfectly fine with your age. <laughs> well, I'm perfectly fine being ageless. So, Mary, when you say your business, uh huh, what exactly is the business? Let's let's start there because, I mean, I it's a catchy title, your money GPS, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of different like approaches or perspectives that people come from when they're messing with your money from, from the IRS to counterfeiters. Um, so well, first I'm trying bit. not to mess with people's money. That's not my intention. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what I do is really help people, um, whether it be families, couples, individuals, really get a handle on what their money goals are. Cause I think a lot of times people have, you know, these broad grandiose ideas about what they want to achieve. Um, but then they have no pathway to get there. So, you know, what are these goals and then come up with a roadmap, a game plan to achieve those goals. Okay, and, you so know, Mary, I'm going right. to go back and ask my question again. Okay. I want to find out, not what you, not that part of it yet. We can get there. Are you a financial planner? Are you a life insurance agent? Are you a stockbroker? Are you a banker? Like, tell me where you're coming from. Or did you just walk off the street one day and say, hey, we should talk about money. And you discovered you were good at it. Um, so I am a financial advisor. I have my, um, you know, investment, insurance, licenses. So yeah, that's the perspective I'm coming from is sort of full service financial planning. So LAH 6365 series seven? Um, 663, no seven. Okay. And 65, yeah. Okay. For those of you that know all those terms, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, and so do you have your uh, now do you have your own business doing this or are you affiliated with a particular company? Yeah, I have my back office is a company called Primerica that's been around for like almost 50 years. And um, but I'm an independent contractor. I have my own business. Um, I have people that work with me, um, too, that, you know, help every, you know, all the people that we're working with. So achieve their financial um, game plan. Okay. So 
here are here are some of my you know there is a lot of different approaches on like setting goals and doing things um how you're going to get people there um and you provide the the plan and now can somebody come to you and because there's two schools of mind maybe there's more now but there were for a long time two traditional schools of mind there was a the person you paid for the plan and then you went and you implemented it yourself and then what you paid for them was the plan the other person is going to sell you all the stuff so they did the plan because they make their money on the back end because they're making money off the stuff they're selling you. Which side of that do you fall on? You know, I fall on the second one. And the biggest reason is, is I think that people need a coach in their life that's going to hold their hand and help them implement their plans. Uh, because I think that's where we, what I've seen, you know, working with people is they really don't understand this. I mean, it's really simple now to go online if you have, you know, a desire to, you know, invest on your own or come up with a debt elimination plan or, you know, any of that, you can just go online and do it. But most people won't do it. And they need, they want to work with someone who has that expertise. So that's what I do. I, you know, help come up, develop the whole plan based on their goals. And then we um, get that plan implemented and so that they can achieve their goals. I mean, that's always the end thing. And, you know, the other thing is, is that most financial planners aren't going to look at some of the basic things that people need help with, like that getting out of debt. Uh, they, you know, they're going to do the investment side of things. But they're not going to help them, you know, get rid of that, you know, come up with a plan to pay off their student loan debt, to pay off their, you know, car loans, their credit cards, things like that, that they have. And, you know, so sometimes we're focusing on that very basic, um, you know, what might seem rudimentary, you know, aspect first. Okay. I find that interesting. Um, so when you are and and i know that uh i know that uh as you're putting this together you're saying you're saying the coaching you've been doing this for 24 years um and but talk to me because coaching has a very unique thing here. Mm -hmm. uh, when people talk about coaching, they're talking usually about somebody that they're meeting with on a really regular basis that may be helping them in a way to develop better tools and skill sets and better approach. Uh, so are you doing something more than financial planners used to do? Because financial planners would say, yeah, we need to get you out of debt. Here is, you know, so we'll pay, we'll do like this percentage towards saving and this percentage towards debt, and you can start to put this aside. But there really wasn't coaching about how to have a better relationship with money. Are you getting involved with coaching people about how to have a better relationship with money? 
You know, that's a good question. I don't have that specific expertise, but I will tell you that in the process, because what we do, you know, the first number of meetings are uh, more intense in terms of time commitments, really getting what a family's or individual or couple's goals are, figuring out then how to um, approach that. But in that process, a lot comes out about people's relationship with money, some of their past experiences, uh, you know, with, you know, what parents have told them or just, you know, some of the situations that they've gotten into or like Rain, you said, just that, you know, money mindset, uh, you know, where you really didn't have any education on money. Uh, you know, so then what we do is, you know, we focus in on some of those things. You know, another thing that I think people don't do well today, um, and most people, is budget. Because they're using, it's all electronic, and it's, you know, sort of figuring out then when you know, you have a zero or let's say maybe hopefully it's not zero, but you got $20 left in your checking account and you don't get paid for three or four days. And so it's then, okay, we can't use this card anymore. Uh, but, oh, oops, I forgot the um, cell phone bill comes out before payday. So that whole budgeting aspect, people, they, they're not writing down everything they're spending on paper. So that's another thing I really work with people on. And that's sort of the rudimentary because you got think about a house and building a house. You know, what's the most important part of um, building a house? The foundation. And foundation. Exactly. If that foundation isn't strong, the whole house is going to crumble. So foundation in a financial house is protection. You know, making sure that if someone dies prematurely, that, you know, there's insurance in place. If there are people that need to be protected, like children or, um, you know, other family members, then you also have health insurance you need to have. And you got to have your auto and homeowners insurance. So making sure that foundation piece is strong. Then moving to having emergency money, you know, having $2,000 if, something just in case something breaks you got a big you know car repair so you don't have to go to credit cards or if you have a you know house something breaks in the house so you got to have at least two thousand just sitting in cash you know savings whatever then moving on to that debt elimination yes Mary you would you would prioritize paying money out for life insurance before you had an emergency fund? Well, it, you, you have to do, I mean, that $2,000 is important. You got to get that in place as quickly as possible. You got to sell something just, I mean, you got to get that money. But if you think about it, if you do have people that need to be protected, children, and someone dies prematurely, that and that life insurance is critical. So it that's part of that foundation. 
No, well, I, I I get that. I was just listening to your. I was I was kind of listening to the 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 order and, right. um, it, you know, it it struck me personally that I would want to have my, um, I would want to know. I mean, for me, and I and I don't know if this is the approach you take. I look. Minimum is three months. Comfortable is six months. I'm dancing in the rain if I have a year of expenses covered. Right. So that's kind of the goal. But I, I wouldn't spend a penny on anything unnecessary in this moment before I had the three months. Because if I lose my job tomorrow, if I, you know, like, I'm more likely to lose my job tomorrow than to die tomorrow. So that's mm -hmm. why I was kind of questioning that emergency fund order. Right. Well, and you know, every person, every, you know, situation is different. But, and so I'm, I'm talking big picture, most people. It might not fit for you, Dr. Kevin, in terms of needing all of that protection on the bottom. But that three to six months is critical after you get that debt eliminated. And it's also a whole lot easier to do, especially for people who have debt. Um, you, know, I've, I've, you know, I've been in this business a long time. I've seen some pretty um, sad situations um, that people have ha gotten into, um, whether intentionally or sort of unintentionally. Um, when it comes to debt, you know, where they're, you know, thousand dollars going out to um, service debt and maybe more, uh, you know, per month. And if they can eliminate that, they can quickly get that three to six months um, set up and in their uh, savings, you know, in their emergency fund, like you were talking about. And the other thing so is, is you can't forget about retirement while you're doing that too. And, you know, making sure, especially now as we're looking at, we got a week to go until tax deadline, um, you know, making sure that there's ways to save for retirement that might help you on your taxes too. So, yeah, I mean, there's a, definitely a lot of different strategies um, out there. And certainly I am, I, I don't always pay attention. In fact, I'm specifically not paying attention to comments today because Brent is on his third margarita. And if I keep looking at what he's writing, I'm going to lose my, I'm going to lose my focus of talking to you. Um, so uh, in the 24 years of you doing this, so mm -hmm. you basically now would be um, dealing with the adult children who are having children of some of your original clients, you would now technically be three generations out. Um, what do you see is the biggest shift in financial stuff? And, and I'm sorry, I didn't finish the sentence. I'm leaving it up to Rain or Elmer to say, uh, we have a question from the audience and I wanna make sure that any question that the audience has for you gets answered. Um, but until then, I'm going to we're going to keep chatting. Um, so what do you think has been the biggest change in the last 20, 25 years around financial 
literacy around financial understanding, working, um, things like this? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, the last 25 years, what I've really seen is a change in people's understanding, and that's not quite the right word, but it's it's that tactile feel of money. People don't have cash anymore. Mm -hmm. So it is a completely different understanding of spending money, I think. And, you know, that's the biggest thing I have seen, uh, just that the swiping of the card, even though it might be a debit card, you know, we'll just leave credit cards out of the picture. But a swiping of the card is a whole lot different from actually having cash that you're handing over to pay for things. And that's not going to change. So it's how do we figure out and give people more of a, a feeling of that spending of money? You know, I have one client that I can think of right now who has um, probably six or seven different savings accounts. And that's one of the ways that um, they have figured out how to manage their money. So they're putting money into a vacation savings. They're putting money into a, um, they have pets. So, you know, a pet savings, they have uh, the emergency money, the, you know, three to six months because they've done a good job of saving and they're young too. They're in their late twenties, early thirties. Um, so that's the one way they figured it out. And I like that idea too, of using multiple savings accounts because savings accounts don't cost you anything. Bank's not charging you for those. You, you do have to be careful that legally you're only allowed six transfers a month out of savings accounts. That is exactly right. You are, um, that's correct, Elmer. But what happens is if you've got six different savings accounts, you can get six transfers out of each of those. So right. that's 36. <laughs> but it is, it is the earmarking. That's what was so important when you had cash because you earmark that money for certain things. And that's what I think. And that's just one tactic. There's a lot of different ones out there. That's just one client that, you know, I've helped in the last month that made me think that's how they've managed to handle their money in a very responsible way, but earmark it for specific spending needs. Do you think, also, in the last 25 years, what's changed that people need to start thinking differently about is the uh, going away of the pension system. Yeah, that's another really big one. When you don't, I mean, very few governments, you know, teachers, they have pensions, but no one else does. And that's exactly right. I mean, in most states, too, now are going to a mandatory uh, retirement plan that businesses that have certain number of employees have to have retirement plans in place. Uh, you know, that the, it might be the employee contributing all the money, but at least it has to be in place now. But, you know, I just, the other thing is, I mean, I've just found people who have that additional assistance get a whole lot further in terms of working one-on-one -on -one with a person like me, um, or, you know, there's lots of other people out there, but uh, who have that that personal contact 
can ask questions when they have a money question. Uh, you know, and I tell my clients, I, I might not know all the answers to all the questions because I'm not a mortgage expert. I'm not a tax expert, um, but I probably know the right person to refer you to and the right questions that you should be asking. And uh, speaking of uh, referring people, I don't know if uh, Rain told you my, my day job is I'm an accountant. Um, oh. So all into the whole, the whole money thing. Uh, I don't refer a lot of people over to, um, to a wide variety of financial advisors, financial planners, um, because I ha had a bad experience. One of my clients went to Edward Jones um, out in uh, Arizona and she wanted, she was coming in to a you know, large sum of money and she wanted to um, look at the whole comprehensive viewpoint of, of wealth building and retirement, which included properties. Edward Jones refused to talk to her about them because they couldn't make money off of it. And to me, that's a huge disservice. If you're gonna if you're gonna work with somebody, and so I've only found very few people that that do this. They are out they are out there, but I just so I'm very picky and choosy. But I just wanted to 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 get your perspective on that of like, even though you know you're selling certain products and the person wants to add this piece to it, you know, do you also talk about that, even though you're not gonna make money of it, because you wanna help them understand their whole perspective of where all their money is and the best place to put it, because as a lot of us know wealthy people got wealthy because they started in real estate or currently wealthy people have their money in real estate as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, Elmer. I look at the whole picture. I have clients that, um, you know, are only have investments um, in, you know, like traditional, um, you know, stock market type investments. But then I have clients that, like you said, you know, um, parents who um, got into the rental real estate business and passed that real estate down to their kids. And so now that's a big poor part of their portfolio. And um, I'm, I'm not a real estate expert, but I look at that within the total portfolio because that's going to play a certain role now and in the future. And um, we need to, you know, make sure that everything is working together. That's, that's I mean, that's critical. Yeah. yeah, it's good to hear. Oh, I'm just, you know, in, in any field, you know, even in my own field, there's a lot of uh, CPAs who just don't do their job once they see they get the get their certificate and they don't seem to like, you know, need to learn anything after that. Um, so, but the same thing, yeah, you know, you know, uh, there are people out there who want to work with the comprehensive, but I think people need to ask those questions when you go to look for a financial advisor is a financial planner is. You know, do you, will you help me look at the whole comprehensive picture, even though you're not going to make money off that real estate? I need to know how it fits into everything else that you're helping me with as well. Right. It's exactly. Because that real estate especially can provide a major income stream down the road, uh, you know, for their financial well-being. And that's really important to look at. Yeah. I mean, and that was part of it on the earlier question is that's always been the the kind of the battle question out there battle's really not the right word but it's like the people that say well i sell you a financial plan and you will pay me to help you with the financial plan but i am not tied to one set of investments i'm not tied to one company that i can only sell you i i'm only going to recommend their mutual funds i only recommend like i 
you pay for the plan and you get a plan that doesn't have any um, uh, doesn't have any attachment mm -hmm. to to uh, one particular or if you go to an Edward D. Jones or you go to a Primerica, or you go to any of these, you go to uh, American Express financial planners, they're not authorized to sell outside of their, their thing. Mm -hmm. And so there is a, you know, that there's that question, but somebody who's really good, and I'm assuming you are, Rain's been with you for a long time. She wouldn't have you on the show if she didn't find you ethical. Um, is that you have an understanding i would i would guess that you would have an understanding that that relationship pays for itself over time even if you're not selling all the products mm -hmm. because right. the relationship pays mm -hmm. over time mm -hmm. i so. have a question from i'm sorry dr kevin it's from okay. someone in Guatemala for Mary. They want to know, can anyone afford to do this no matter how little they make? I think so. And, you know, I, I really, I mean, there might be some people who make so little money that they can't afford to put a, a small percentage away every week, every paycheck, however often that is. But I think that is just such a good habit to get into. You know, if there's one place you're going to start, that would be it. You know, how do I save a little bit of money from every paycheck that I am socking away for those emergencies um, initially? And as that grows, can then, you know, maybe make it for more for the future. But yeah, that's critical to get to that point. I want to um, bring back something you mentioned earlier um, and go deeper into it. You know, you talked about people's past relationships and especially around their parents and stuff. Do you, do you think that we're not doing enough in society and teaching kids about money management? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm in Virginia and Virginia now, everybody, um, before they can graduate from high school, has to take an economics class. And they go into uh, money management principles. What I'm seeing, though, is that um, a lot of the kids are taking those classes like in 10th grade. And I just I wonder if that's too early. They don't have enough real world because a lot of 10th graders aren't even able to have a job yet. Um, so they don't have that real world experience yet to apply it. Uh, you know, that uh, that senior year in high school for a lot of people or even that first, you know, the year after that. But I'm not, uh, you know, pe people may or may not go to college. So, but I think that senior year in high school is the much better optimum time to teach it. And I don't know, you're in Arizona, Elmer. Well, I'm in, actually in Maine now. I was in Arizona oh. for, for oh, 10 Maine. years. Oh, okay. So I don't know if those states have the same rules, but I think, again, um, you know, teaching that, I, I, I was lucky. I mean, my parents, you know, we weren't, there were six of us. 
And we weren't handed things on a silver platter. We, I grew up on a farm and, you know, we had to work for um, everything. I had a job when I was 15 because I wanted to buy stuff. And, but my parents, I always saw from them good money practices. So I, I got lucky in that regard. And um, yeah, you don't think starting earlier, even at home, is it wouldn't be a good thing. Like um, I have a friend who was a 12 year old who's uh, I've known since he was four and he wanted to help me have, have me help him build a computer one time. And so, uh, cause actually he wanted a new gaming desktop. I mean, like he, you know, we weren't just going to give it to him and a new gaming desktop can cost two, $3,000 or even a lot more. So what we came up with was a way for him to feel like he's making progress on the computer, um, but also teaching him about, you know, saving for money and the cost, you know, things have a cost and whatnot is we, we ha I helped him build it because it was cheaper and then he could save up a little bit of money and then buy it part. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So he can physically see him making progress towards, you know, the end goal where as a kid, you know, if it's not in front of you, you don't see it, you might not, you know, thinking, you know, two years down the road on something is not going to, you know, uh, work with them. So do you right. think, you know, starting earlier, you know, teaching these basic money management skills and understanding the worth of and, and working towards not just having everything handed to you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that I think is critical how you teach kids and, you know, there's pros and cons like on allowance systems or working, being paid to do jobs in the house versus you're a part of the family. You should just do those jobs. So there's a lot of dynamics there that families, I think, need to work out for themselves the best way to do it. But in when my kids were growing up, and this is just an example, whenever they got, you know, gifts or, um, you know, earned money or allowance or whatever, they had to save 10% of it and they had to give 10% of it and then they could spend the other 80 um, and, you know, and if it were a bigger lump sum, they had to save more than that. So uh, I think teaching that savings principle early on is really important. You know, one of the things that because I in my practice um, will deal with uh, young people and young families and kids and stuff like this. And a few years ago, I switched over if um, I'm, I'm in, in, involved in like the child, when I'm involved in, in, in the child thing, if they're talking to me about helping like figure it out parenting, because unfortunately we are now second or third generation for some people that are latchkey kids of latchkey kids of latchkey kids mm -hmm. who aren't getting a whole lot of skill sets taught to them, period. And, um, was to get to basically get them a fake debit card and when they did things that put credits in their debit card and then they could get things by spending money out of their debit card at a very young age and it was all an internal it's all an internal house system but you do your chores you get so many credits in your debit card and then you can spend that debit card so i've started to like change it from an allowance that's got money to a card allowance Mm -hmm. to to make that to because you're right i mean some kids look at money and don't even know what it is anymore half mm -hmm. the time mm -hmm. on this i do have a question i don't know if you and i don't want to get lost here too much but in this economics are you familiar at all with the curriculum of what they're teaching i mean 
when you say they're teaching money management, are they teaching like how to balance a checkbook and giving real world examples of like what interest on cards look like and how much it costs you over time? Because when I think of economics, economics usually doesn't get into the nitty gritty like that. And so I'm wondering if you're familiar with when they say economics, what are they actually like? What are they covering? Do you know? Yeah, you know, it's in Virginia. I don't know the specifics, but I know, you know, kids that have gone through it and what they've learned. You know, they, it a lot of it does depend on the teacher um, and their experience and what they bring into the curriculum, uh, you know, over and above what's you know designated that they have to teach. But they are... Um, they're definitely not teaching how to balance a checkbook. I don't think anyone does that anymore. It seems like I think that they should be, you know, teaching like with that debit card system you were talking about. I still think a written budget. Everyone yep. needs to learn that um, and that they put everything that they spend on paper. Mm -hmm. And that's from the, you know, five dollar latte you know, to the, you know, $100, um, you know, electrical bill, whatever. Everything goes on paper that you're going to spend your money on. But, you know, they're teaching, they are teaching examples of um, interest uh, rates and how that affects both savings and spending. They are, you know, basic economic principles of supply and demand, um, you know, think they're you know basic principles on investing. They're getting that in these classes. So you know I, the principles are there. Uh, taxes. I mean, I think that's another thing that you know when people get their first paycheck, you know, a lot of times they're surprised that you know, hey, I thought I was being paid fifteen dollars an hour. How come I didn't get fifteen dollars times the ten hours I worked? Um, you know, so understanding taxes and that uh, effect on your paycheck. I think they also need to, especially in this day and age where it seems like a lot more self, um, people are working from home, not only just for employers, but creating their own businesses. Mm -hmm. What I find, I work with a lot of small businesses. I find a lot of people who might understand all those concepts don't understand business concepts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the question I get, because I, I, I don't do do I do count, um, the accounting work? I also do the tax work. And so I've had questions and small business owners saying, how do I, how do I have a $10,000 net profit that I'm paying taxes on when my bank account has 10 bucks in it? <laughs> it's right. like, there's a different process of how that business mm -hmm. finances work. And it's not based upon what's left in your bank account. Right. Yeah. And those, I don't think that that is being taught because you think about who the, the teacher most teachers have never had that experience. Mm -hmm. They don't understand it. So that definitely is, is not being taught, you know, in, in a classroom setting. Um, they need definitely connecting with a great accountant like you, Elmer, that can teach them those things and help them understand that is, you know, critical as a small business owner. Because we know... Yeah. The amount of small businesses that go out of business just in the, you know, the it's a very high percentage that goes out of business in the you know first year or two. Oh, yeah. Um, now, what part of Virginia are you in? I'm in the central part of Virginia, the Richmond, Virginia area. 
Okay. I used to I used to live in Williamsburg and Norfolk and Oh yeah. But an office in Richmond. So I'm I'm familiar. Uh so I was just curious because you come see you in Virginia and I come going, I, I, I used to live there. Uh <laughs> If you were, what do you think is, so I have to ask you, I noticed that you don't, you said you don't have a series seven, so you don't do stocks. So do you not recommend the stock market in your I don't, plans? Yeah, personally, I don't sell individual stocks except through, I mean, there's one, I do have a way that I can do that um, through a managed account program that we work with. But so that is just the only difference. So mutual funds that are buying stocks or mutual funds that are buying combination stocks and bonds or bonds, you know, all of that um, are what I help my personal clients with. But I'll have clients that come to me that have inherited, um, you know, a lot of individual stocks that their parents owned. And, and we'll, again, we'll look at that as part of their entire portfolio and see how it makes sense. Um, you know, sometimes that portion, like, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting, especially you know, when you look at inheritances, a lot of the stocks will be the company that their parents worked for. So mm -hmm. they might have a pretty hefty holding in that company, which, you know, the balance might be off a little bit. So we'll look at that and, you know, see if it makes sense to diversify some of that at this, at that stage. So. But, you, but you don't yourself, you wouldn't yourself say to somebody, you should go get stocks. You only deal with them if they come in. Right. Yes. And, and that's to individual stocks. And most of the time, too, Dr. Kevin, the reason is, you know, mainly diversification, you know, buying individual stocks. You know, if someone wants to buy an Amazon or a Microsoft or a Berkshire Hathaway. Only 25 years ago. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, today you can't buy you can buy one share, you know. And so just because of how much, you know, each individual share costs. So that's because it's more so diversification and that, you know, a lot of times for my clients makes the most sense. And what, and so speaking about the diversification, uh, one of the fields that I specialize in is cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. So have you noticed, especially in this younger, younger age uh, group, um, I deal with um, some teenagers who are getting into this, but you got the cryptocurrency, you got the NFTs. You've got um, uh, Rally when the, and other uh, apps like that that allow you to buy shares of, um, you know, the first Batman comic um, or a Maserati or wine. Um, you've got uh, uh, Charles Schwab now who does splits, uh, uh, slices, where if you can't afford any, you know, Amazon, you, you can get a slice of it and stuff. So mm -hmm. are you finding a lot more people are dabbling in that in that arena? And uh, is that something that you could even, you know, think, get a handle around helping them with, or is that something that it's just too new or too, too outside your scope that, you know, it's hard for you to, to advise them? Yeah. On those particular like cryptocurrency and things like that, I don't have the expertise 
um, to advise clients on that for sure. So I, right now, that's something they have to you know sort of figure out on their own or find someone that can advise them on that. I have a guest question. This young lady is 14 from Florida. And oh, she good. said, would Miss Mary come back on and speak to young adults about money when their families are financially irresponsible? What should they do? That's a really good question. You know, yeah. luckily there is, there are so many resources um, on the internet too, where you can, you know, teach yourself about money. And I would say, you know, you want to start with the basics. You know, you really want to understand what is an interest rate. I mean, I think that's a great place to start as a young person, both on, you know, when I'm, you know, putting money into the bank and the interest rate that I'm getting there, or if I'm investing and the that would be more of a rate of return that I'm getting. Or if I'm getting debt, if I'm buying a car and I don't have enough money to pay cash for it, how does that interest rate that I'm being charged for a loan affect me too? And, you know, play with some of the online calculators that show that. I think it's really cool just putting in, um, you know, some online savings and investing calculators that are really simple where you can just, you know, put in, hey, what if I saved you know, $100 a month, um, you know, how could that grow for me over the next, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, if I earned eight or 9% interest every year, you know, those things really open up your eyes. And, you know, Mary, I think let's look at it from the other side, because like me, my family was always, if you asked anything about money, one, that was an adult conversation and you mind your own business. And you, the only way you learn about money is to go out and fail over and over and over until you figure it out. And I've run into a lot of young people who don't know how to punch those numbers. They don't know how to start because a lot of times they work and their money goes to the family. Family's like, well, you're 12 and you have $100 in the bank. Let's use 50. So I think, you know, I see some other questions from other young people say the same thing. How do I become financially responsible when my family is saying, this isn't a thing, you know? So I think that's another layer we can bring you back. I mean, Dr. Kevin Elmer, I'm sure Elmer, I saw you shaking your head. That's a thing. That's how I learned horribly about money, you know? And, and also cultural, you know, my parents were like, black people don't, are not supposed to have a lot of money. So I grew up with that. I didn't know any differently, you know? And I'm like, that can't be true. But I didn't know anybody who had money to know if that was true. Well, one of the things we didn't get to, and I'm we're gonna, coming up to the sorry. time limit, just so you know. Yeah. One of the things we didn't get to, and I referred to it a little bit at the beginning, but I really want to get back into it, is also the energy of money and your mm -hmm. relationship with money. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there is so much more. I mean, there's so much. By the time, Mary, you're sitting down with somebody with a budget, there's so many emotional, mental wounds, even spiritual wounds around money that they will sabotage the best plan in the world if they don't get their handle on it. But I'm going to tell this 14-year-old what I did. 
I'm not going to tell her to do it because she's 14 years old. But what I did when I was 14 and um, I found that when I brought money home, that somehow my parents found a use for it is I started hiding money. I literally had a collection of Nancy Drew books full of $20 bills, hundreds of dollars that I just never told my parents I made because I knew everything I made that part of it would go to something that they would want to spend the money on and that they would have a justification. So I'm not going to tell a 14 year old to lie to their parents. I'm not going to tell them to hide things. I'm saying when I was 14, I had a lot of very fat Nancy Drew books by the time I was 17. Um, so, so Rain, on the 24th, we mm -hmm. have Scott Hill, you said? Scott Hill Theater, West Virginia. We can make it some leaps and bounds there. Um, if it's okay, can we bring Mary back at some point? Let's pick up the energy and the money because I think this is, we've got a lot of comments coming in and um, I think people really want some wellness. Yeah, yep. there's a lot to talk about and learn about money still. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to have a diversity uh, uh, and get more into the energetics, the spirituality, mm -hmm. all of that stuff of money. Mm -hmm. Mary, you're welcome to come back and join us. I do want to say, for all of my questions and my third degrees, I am a huge fan of financial planners. When you get a good one in your life, it is an asset. Mm -hmm. They should work well with your accountant and with your lawyer. Mm -hmm. And um, But just like any field, you get good ones and you get ones that will put you wherever they make the most money, not where you're mm -hmm. gonna make the most money or the plan. But that's true of any field. You have bad accountants, you have bad actors, and you have bad financial planners. Um, but when you find a good financial planner, not only can they help you with that plan, but they tend to stay up to date on things that are going to affect you like your accountant does. And I find that that a good balance is a financial planner and an accountant that work together are going to keep you ahead of the curve. And I just want to put that out there because I was asking you a lot of tough questions and I appreciate the fact that you, you went with that flow, but I don't want people out there to think that I'm, I'm, I'm anti-financial planner. I think that they're actually a great resource to have. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me on today. This was fun. I wasn't sure what to expect. <laughs> me neither. Thanks. And uh, we're over time, so I'm going to play us out. You can hang on with us, though. Thanks for watching or listening to the Laughing, Loving, Into Live show. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or support us with Buy Me A Coffee. To catch all of the latest from Laughing, Loving, and Alive, you can follow us on Instagram at Laughing, Loving, and Alive and on Facebook at Laughing, Loving, and Alive. Thanks again, and see you next time. <laughs>